Welcome to the UK Ed podcast from UK Ed magazine and UK Ed Chat. I'm Martin, and in this episode, we're talking about intervention strategies with my guest, Jen Morris. On with the podcast. Hello, and welcome to the UK Ed Chat After Hours webinar. Thank you for joining us. I'm Martin. Uh, you can find out more about me at ICT Magic on Twitter. I'm one of the people that makes UK EdChat happen every week on Twitter. And also I do lots of things behind the scenes uh, on the website, on the magazine and that kind of thing. If you want to find out more about that, then if you head over to UKEdChat.com and you can find out lots more about it there. Tonight, I'm joined by one of our repeating guests now, I'm pleased to say. Uh, fantastic performance last week, so thank you very much for that. Uh, I'm joined by uh, Jen Morris. And Jen, if I can ask you to introduce yourself to those people who have not yet uh, watched one of our webinars and haven't quite caught you yet. Um, so where can people find you on Twitter and uh, what kind of uh, classroom and subject you teach? Well, as, as you said, I'm Jen Morris. I am lead practitioner in science. So I teach science in a secondary school. Um, everything that I do on Twitter is at uh, science teach TW1, but um, no one ever knows how to spell it, so I'll type it in later on. <laughs> okay, super. Um, and uh, if you are watching along uh, to either the live performance or the repeat, then you should be able to find all of that information in the show notes. Um, just to let you know, if you are watching live, then there is the opportunity to be able to um, ask questions and to chat along with us in the sidebar. If you're watching a recording or even if you're watching the pod, uh, if you're listening to the podcast version of this, then again, if you just contact us on our various social outlets and we'll get back to you and uh, every comment you make will be appreciated. So tonight we're talking about intervention strategies. Now, before we started recording, um, we actually had a bit of a discussion about the fact that we don't actually have all the answers for this. So we'll be um, very emboldened to the audience who are listening or watching to this to be able to help us out with some of these um, questions that we're, we're talking about tonight. So um, you obviously as a secondary science teacher and I'm, uh, I've got a background in primary school teaching. Hopefully we'll cover lots of the bases and we're obviously sharing our personal opinion with this, but really very much we want this to be an interactive discussion. So if you've got any comments and answers that you'd like to share with us, then please do do that. So the first question um, really is a bit of a definition. So um, we're talking about the difference between what um, the role of differentiation is compared to what an intervention is. So how would you see that, Jen? What's the difference between those two different uh, mainstays of the classroom? 
So, I mean, I mentioned this earlier on, on the chat that I think that, you know, differentiation is a very sort of active process and is something that we do sort of second nature in the classroom constantly. Um, and I think that intervention is much more reactive in terms of we look for a problem with data, perhaps, and we look for problems with gap groups or uh, achievement in any any particular way, really. And then we, we kind of react to that to then try to improve it. So that's the sort of differentiation between those two that I think um, think fits best. Mm. So going back to your role as a as a leads teacher in your particular subject of science, do you have some sort of co um, coordination role within that that you have to do when it comes to intervention and possibly even um, things like differentiation as well? How does that work in your team? Um, what kind of role do you have um, as a team within that? So I've only been at my school for the past six weeks. Um, and so I haven't had anything to do with the intervention, particularly in this school. However, before um, I started there, I was I was key stage four coordinator at a different school. Um, and there I had quite a big part to play in the intervention that went on with particularly year 11. Um, and obviously the, the intervention was reactive um, for that whole process with uh, the different mock data that we got. So we did Christmas mocks and then we did uh, a second mock and our sort of intervention was based around reacting to what that was. Um, and, you know, we did lots of different things. Um, but as, as I sort of alluded to before, the, the classroom intervention is now something that in my new role will be much more important because my focus is teaching and learning. So what we're trying to avoid is having to react in the first place. So trying to get the differentiation correct, trying to get the classroom intervention correct so that there is less of, um, you know, the pressure towards the end of the, the year, especially at the moment, year 11, because this is what we're all thinking of at the moment, isn't it? Year 11 is a big focus. Mm, absolutely. And what kind of interventions are you seeing commonly in your own classroom and perhaps uh, of the pupils, maybe in the wider school uh, from the, the, the cohort that you teach? What kind of interventions are quite common within your school? Um, so in, in my school currently, um, uh, there are a different number of different interventions going on. In lower year groups that are not in year 11, there are certain classes that are quite small classes of underachieving pupils. Um, and there's possibly eight in a class that I teach one that's got eight children in it. Um, and they are in for core subjects, so maths, English and science. And they'll just have an extra lesson every two weeks. So what they will do in that lesson is some form of intervention. So, for example, at the moment, I'm doing maths in science because it's quite um, a big hot topic for the for the exams. So as long as they can get good at that in year nine, then hopefully that will lead into them being good at it in year 11. Um, obviously, for year 11, there's a whole different set of strategies. So we've got after school revision that happens every Monday for an hour. Um, at the moment, there is a particular subject that's led by a particular teacher. There are three different groups, a foundation, a higher and a triple. So obviously the three different teachers, but the subjects would be the same. Um, and what we're trying to move forward with after half term is instead of teaching particularly just content, what we're aiming to do is teach a particular revision strategy. So, for example, we might teach good dual coding or we might teach self quizzing and try to embed that over maybe a two week period and then give them a bit of a toolkit by the end of it where they've had it modelled to them how to do that revision. Um, and then we've also got the holiday revision that we're doing, which there is, I'm going in on Tuesday over half term to help out some disadvantaged students. So we've got that going on. There's four teachers that are coming in to, to help do that, which is great. Um, and 
we've also got some form interventions. So myself and the head of department will be taking two different groups once a week. And hopefully we're going to be able to boost their grades that way as well. So there is quite a lot going on at the moment. Yeah, it's surprising from um, a primary perspective. Um, I think we often think that um, the secondary schools don't take quite as much of a proactive approach to interventions as we probably do at primary school. And it's it's very much in the same kind of mold that you're describing there. So it's the idea of instilling those uh, skills and strategies into pupils to be able to make sure that they are able to access the curriculum and obviously yeah. access what they're learning as well. And again, it's within those core subjects, probably not quite as so much of the science, but certainly in the English and the maths. Um, uh, obviously, they're very key skills to be able to access the other parts of the curriculum, especially at primary school. Um, so my next question really is about um, how do we discover the fact that pupils actually need this intervention in the first place? Because um, some children are very good at um, hiding the fact they've got particular needs because of various different um, social pressures, perhaps, or peer pressures. And obviously, it, it can be quite difficult to uncover the fact that they do actually have a need. So how do we uncover that and what kind of tools are available to teachers to be able to help us do that? See, I find at the moment that it's quite uncool to want to try. So I find it even more difficult, actually, to identify those students that need help because they don't want to say that they need help because then it's seen as being really uncool to do so. Um, because, you know, obviously that means that they're trying too hard. Um, but there's also a massive stigma attached to those students that do want to, uh, that do have to, sorry, be, um, you know, intervened with um, and those that are in lower sets. So you can't, you, you almost can't really win if you're in that position um you know and it makes it difficult from a teacher's point of view and i think that you know this is possibly one of the reasons that intervention is so reactive because the main tool that we've got really is data analysis and so obviously intervention we get the data and then we react to the data um you know as opposed to when it's differentiation we kind of know what each student's needs are whether they've got additional student uh, additional needs or they've got you know some sort of um, social or emotional need we know how to manage that in the classroom to help their progress but then we need the data and the data analysis to then check if that differentiation is working and then if not that's when the intervention's being put in place mm. so I, I, th I just think it's really hard sorry mm. yeah i think there's obviously a difference again with, between primary and secondary because obviously you have um sporadic exposure to those particular students where a primary school yeah. tends to have the same class all the time. So um, obviously a primary school is also data led, but I think it is much more reactionary to what you're seeing on an everyday basis. And it's much more done by observation, maybe informally um, within the classroom much more um, because obviously you've got those students in your classroom in front of you all the time. If you identify yeah. any, then you try to plug it straight away. Um, so with the um so how how are interventions organized at secondary school are they um do they tend to be um as a group like you said so um i don't know if you said it was timetable or if it was just a, a lesson which is in, in um a break time or something like that but how is it actually organized within the school perhaps staffing issues and also um how does that sort of fit into the timetable and resourcing as well. How does that all work? So the one that I was talking about with those year nine students, those are timetabled. So actually they will have um, that extra lesson in timetable time. So the effect really is that just gets put onto somebody's timetable. So 
realistically there's not much of an effect on staffing or resources. I think that staffing might be a bit of an issue when it comes to revising over the holidays, perhaps, because obviously not everybody wants to give up their time, which is completely fine. Um, you know, we probably would like to put on more intervention, but time, as I said before, is really tight with everything. And, you know, time is the, the most, the biggest barrier um, of learning and, and the biggest barrier of doing anything about intervention, which makes it, again, which makes the call, which is, you know, the, one of the reasons that I'm so keen to, to discuss about this, because if anyone's got really efficient ways of doing this, I am 100% open because I really would like some ideas because I, I don't think we're getting it 100% right. I think we're doing a great job, but there's always improvement that could be made. And, you know, that collaboration could just be something that's the ticket to do that. Yeah, and I think we both need to reiterate the fact that um, we don't have all the answers and if the audience would like to suggest any of um, ideas which are working really well within their schools or things that they've seen in other schools, then that'd be fantastic to share uh, either in the comments uh, if you're watching live or um, also on social media if you're listening to this, um, if it's recorded. You mentioned about um, uh, um, a little bit about uh, revising and um, about home life. That sort of brings me on to the role of parents and how parents can uh, play a role or not uh, within intervention. So what kind of uh, interactions have you had with parents about interactions? Probably not quite so much that, uh, as possibly a primary school teacher like myself would have had because they're at the door pretty much every day um, at a certain yeah. age point, um, where I would imagine that secondary school it's much more of a, a hands-off approach unless there is a particular issue. So. Is there a um, more of a proactive way to reach out to parents uh, for both secondary and primary and beyond for that matter um, to maybe get them more involved? And have you come across any good strategies which would help um, any teacher to be able to bridge that gap between the home life and school? I think that parents are like a really sort of underused tool, especially in terms of intervention, because it's very rare that you'll meet a parent that doesn't say to you at parents evening, how can I help? How can I help my child revise, you know, and I mean, I'm talking about all the way through, you know, how can I help my child be successful? It doesn't have to be just for year 11. I think the year sevens are a little bit more hands-on, but the further up school you go, the less hands-on, you know, the parents are just because the children are a little bit more independent. But I think that what we need to be focusing on is, you know, making sure that those teacher relationships are really strong and that the contact with home is really regular. I do a lot of contacting home by email. I might ring the first time and then after that, I'll say, you know, I'll contact you by email. And as long as there's that initial contact and the initial discussion, it bridges that gap really easily because then it's not just a stranger. It's somebody you've actually had a conversation with that's talking about your child. So that parent then is much more engaged. I think what what we need to do is to try to, um, you know, teach the, the parents how to support the children. In, in a much more sort of hands-on way. You know, I've, uh, the most recent parents evening I've sat with, I've, I've encouraged parents to, um, you know, ask children to prove what work they're doing because revision wouldn't be invisible. So, you know, if the year 11, because it was a year 11 parents evening, if the year 11 child is is at home saying, oh, I've revised, then the parent needs to then say, well, what, what have you done? Show me what you've done because, the, you know, there shouldn't be any invisible revision and you know a lot of parents were like excellent thank you for that and i put a timetable together to help them and each week now the parents know exactly what the child should be revising and there are lots of strategies that they can ask to see so they know just one little step more of how to actually you know help those children mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and you managed to take my next question off me, which was going to be about how can we be proactive and actually prevent <laughs> um, uh, uh, interventions before they actually need to be in, um, uh, instilled in the first place. So um, a primary school, obviously, we're always trying to um, minimise the, the amount of um, interventions that are going on because um, it is such a disruption to the classroom. And I'm sure that uh, it would actually be quite nice to be able to timetable something specific. But then you have the issue of if you are um, studying one particular thing to try to level up or to try to improve something, you are possibly missing out on something else. And obviously, you don't want to take break times away and lunch times away because then it has a negative impact. It has that uh, aspect that you're feeling like you're being punished. So. The idea of trying to um, preempt and try to fix things before they happen is obviously really important. What does that look like in your subject specifically? Is there anything in particular that you can do through science to try to maybe preempt some of the um, the possible issues which may come up later on? Obviously, being an experienced teacher, you know what kind of problems have come up before, which is what I would imagine. But are, are there any other things, or could you take that point further? <laughs> So I think I think and I, I mentioned earlier again on the chat that I think that classroom intervention, um, you know, teacher classroom intervention is, is the most powerful thing to avoid having a massive amount of intervention towards the end of a year. Um, I think that what needs to happen is perhaps we need to identify a certain number of students that are in a particular disadvantaged group, for example, or boy group or whichever, somewhere where it links in with the school priorities you know, and pick some students in our classes that we are really going to absolutely, you know, work really hard with. So we're going to make sure that they're the first people that we speak to in lessons to make sure they're understanding. We're going to, you know, check their engagement, make sure that they've got uh, as much access to any home resources and that they know how to use those resources, you know, spend that little bit of extra time just nurturing those students. And then once we find that there's an improvement there, not just ignore them again, but then choose some other students and work some with those students. And I think that if we're sort of rotating this and doing this ourselves as teachers, I think that that's a, a, it's it's almost leveling up on differentiation, isn't it? Because there's more to differentiation than just you know looking at different um, worksheets or uh, you know helping somebody in a classroom. It's also about making sure that you are kind of pulling up those those students that really need it but in a strategic way there's no point sort of just plucking it in thin air and not measuring any impact so once we measure the impact then we're able to then move on okay well that worked so let's try that with these four students let's try that with this three students and I think that that's one of the most powerful things to avoid such a large amount of, of intervention towards the end also avoid that panic because everyone's under pressure everyone's thinking oh my god if they don't get these grades, obviously it's terrible for the school if they don't achieve the grades that they should be achieving. It's also terrible for the children. And, you know, more than anything, that's the thing that, that worries me, the fact that these poor children might end up leaving without any qualifications to be able to choose what they do in life. You know, and that's, that's I think, what motivates me the most anyway as a teacher. But, yeah, I think in, in classroom is definitely the most important part of this, in my opinion. Yeah, and I think it's really important what you said there about drip feeding, um, when there isn't a, a huge issue um, at that point and actually drip feed those resources and the, the, the allotted time as well while yeah. you still have the chance before you have those big issues coming along and then obviously the mad rush coming up to it yeah. but also obviously the end of the year pressures when 
when you've got your students and you want to do wonderful things, now you've got them where you want them in a particular uh, mindset and a particular mode of work. Um, my last question tonight is uh, about support staff. Now, um, at primary school, a lot of the interventions are done by support staff rather than the teachers themselves. I really personally don't like that approach. So I try to um, do most of the interventions myself and use support staff, uh, whether it's a TA or HLTA to um, be able to take the children who don't necessarily need particular input in that particular way, which then means that I can use my own expertise and my knowledge of the child to be able to hopefully push them on better than maybe a TA who works with lots of different children. But how do support staff work in secondary school when it comes to interventions? So usually um, intervention will be teacher led. And I think that for the most part, it's initially because of the fact that there's very little funding for enough um, support to be able to do that. So those those support staff are going to be there to help people with ECHPs and you know other additional needs. So they're not able to then just take a small group to to do one particular thing, for example, like you would be able to in primary. Um, at, at this current school that I work at now, the, we offer an um, an entry level certificate for science, which is a level one qualification, and um, some of the students in my set are doing the the ELC and some are not. And what happens when they're doing their mock exams is that the HTLA will take those children instead of doing the mocks because they're not being entered for mocks uh, for the uh, sorry the actual exams. They're going to do this other qualification, so they take them out and they actually do some science work with them, which is working really well for those children because it's building the confidence. It's a small group. They have got a very good relationship with the with the learning support staff that they're with all the time. So that obviously really helps them. Um, and that's that's actually the first time I've ever seen that in a school before. Um, so I think that that's something that with resources or with the, you know, with enough resources, um, it would be really great to do. But again, if that wasn't the case, then there would be a struggle because I'd have 10 children in that set and three of them would be doing a different qualification. So it would be quite difficult to manage um, without putting one group of them at a disadvantage. So I think that, you know, that, that's really working for that. Mm, absolutely. And I just want to end uh, by giving a quick shout out to all of the um, SENCOs out there who do amazing jobs coordinating lots of the interventions which happen, I'm sure, at secondary as much as they do at primary and uh, the team that's around them as well. So a big shout out to all of the support to all of the SENCOs out there who do amazing work. But absolutely. it's now the end of our webinar. So, Jen, if you could just remind everybody where they can find you on Twitter and anything else that, they, that you want to share. Yeah, I'm at science teach TW1 on Twitter. Okay, and that will be in the show notes. Uh, I'm Martin. Uh, I'm ICT Magic on Twitter. You can find out more about me there. And if you just type in ICT Magic on Google, you will find me everywhere. And if you want to find out more about what UK EdChat is up to, then go to UKEdChat.com even and find out more about what we're up to there. Thank you very much for watching or listening, however you're consuming us this evening. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Huge thanks to Jen Morris for sharing her views about intervention strategies. I hope you enjoyed it, and if you'd like to get involved with one of our webinars, please get in touch. You can do so by email using podcast at ukedchat.com or get in touch via Twitter at UKEdChat or at ICT Magic. 
Thank you very much for listening and catch you next time. Goodbye.